Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from our Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, some commentary on key issues in global markets, as well as the federal government's economic update. You're listening to BIV Today. Disruptions to global trade agreements and arrangements can, of course, have a major impact on global financial markets. And that's why issues like Brexit are being watched closely by security commissions and investment associations around the world. Joining me today on the line from Montreal is Ian Russell, President and CEO of the Investment Industry Association of Canada, on the show today to weigh in on some of the issues at play in global financial markets. Ian, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Haley, very much for the opportunity. You know, I think it's fair to say most stakeholders would like to see an orderly, soft Brexit over the alternative, but there there really is so much uncertainty even at this stage in the process. From a capital market perspective, what would you say are some of the key issues and concerns at this point? Well, I, I think the key issue is, um, while it's a bit um, open-ended as to where Brexit will land, it's not going to land in a great place. Um, it's going to be either a hard Brexit um, or it's going to be no Brexit at all, meaning it, there's going to be no deal at all. It seems that that's where it's going to be. And um, that just, um, I think, adds further to the kind of uncertainty that you mentioned in your opening remarks, uh, Haley, that uh, it certainly means that uh, the growth outlook uh, more in the UK but also in the EU will be um, – less uh, robust or less positive than if we'd have had uh, a smooth Brexit. In the UK, in fact, the latest forecast or something like uh, growth over the next year, 2019, could be uh, down 9% if um, we end up with no deal at all. Now, sometimes these forecasts get a little bit uh, uh, overemphasized or a little bit um, excessive, but I think that um, we are in for uh, slower than otherwise expected growth. And, and what that does is that just adds to the turbulence um, to and uncertainties in capital markets because there's two other things going on at the same time that compounded. We have a trade war between China and the United States, and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of weighed down the market. And uh, the other one is um, we have this move towards more normalization, more of a normalization in monetary policy, which effectively means rates are starting to move up. We saw that over the past year um, with the Fed and even the uh, ECB signaled uh, a, a move towards a more normalization policy, meaning higher rates. And I think both uh, the Federal Reserve and the ECB have put those policies a bit on hold. So that's just contributed to uh, uncertainty. And then generally, emerging markets um, haven't shown uh, um, much strength either. So I think there's an overall view that notwithstanding these events that are happening in trade or with monetary policy, growth is slowing. So it's just created a very difficult time, I think, for capital markets and investors and, uh, and the issuers of securities. It is a very interesting and uncertain time. Where does capital go? I mean, it might be difficult to find a place of certainty, but what are some of the trends you see in terms of where institutions are looking? Usually when there's this kind of turbulence and uncertainty, it goes, money goes to safe havens, at least in the short run. And that usually is um, U.S. Treasury bonds. So, um, and um, there have been increased flows into uh, 
into those uh, securities um, and into the U.S. dollar, um, and uh, also um, uh, staying in cash. Um, and a third impact is that it just um, starts to uh, impact investment decisions. People just hold back, even in the U.S. Um, I think some of the recent statistics have shown uh, um, some, uh, at least temporary reduction in uh, capital capital investing uh, in the U.S. So it's it's more about caution and uncertainty and uh, staying on the sidelines and trying to get a handle on uh, how some of these things are going to play out. Mm-hmm. In your latest president's letter through the IIAC, you noted interestingly that Credit Suisse actually cut its em- London employee base from 10,000 to 6,000 in the lead up to Brexit, which I thought was quite interesting. And I'm I'm curious, London has for such a long time been our financier in the world. Is there a risk that London's financial standing on the world stage changes as a result of what happens with Brexit? Well, it's a good question. I I don't think so. I think the rumors of London's death are greatly exaggerated. And I was at a conference in in um, London a couple of about a month ago, and I think the general consensus is yes. Uh, financial services will uh, migrate from London and have already started to do that into um, Ireland, which has a big center for uh, uh, clearing uh, some of the trading businesses because Paris has got uh, uh, a strong derivatives uh, group and um, into um, Germany as well. Um that's probably more related to uh, asset management and Luxembourg also, which is a big place for asset managers. So there is some movement of back office and some movement of front office into um, other European centers, but it's more on the margin. Um, I think that um, the core business, I mean, London is really a wholesale market uh, as well, which we tend to forget. I mean, it's an asset management capital and uh, distributes um, managed product into into Europe, and that has the Brexit implication. But it's also the major market for wholesale finance. So for corporations and governments, uh, they finance in London. It's still very big. Now, Eventually, it may shift to New York, and I've heard it said that New York will capitalize on it. But European governments, um, obviously the UK itself, and European corporations are going to be looking to London. That still is the uh, the biggest market going. So I think London will stay a very strong center. But you raise another question that uh, – or raise another fact that I think creates a certain obscurity or obscures what's going on, and that is that – in all uh, financial markets, you're seeing this uh, continual shift to technology and downsizing. So capital replacing people, be it especially in the back offices, um, clearing, settlement, uh, execution, but even in terms of asset management where algo trading is uh, playing a bigger role, um, bond trading, for example, uh, used to be all um, over the market with traders. A lot of that is done through algo trading systems. So there's a lot of, and and of course, the banks themselves, not just the infrastructures, but the banks themselves using more and more technology to cut costs. So people, um, as you mentioned, the Credit Suisse example, I mean, there's a a lot of um, employment uh, layoffs and um, 
employee layoffs rather and uh, downsizing uh, that's taking place, notwithstanding um, the uh, Brexit situation. Now, in this turbulent environment, uh, the Canadian government took some steps last week to try and improve Canada's competitive standing. Yeah. And we've now had about a week to digest the latest economic update. What were some of your takeaways? Well, I think the biggest takeaway on that was um, the Minister of Fa- Finance um, did acknowledge we have a competitiveness problem. So that's a good sign. But I think the fact is it wasn't a strong enough signal to send to domestic and foreign investors that Canada is a good place to invest. I think, you know, over the last couple of years, um, be, particularly in the last two years, we've seen no response to uh, the tax reform uh, efforts in the U.S. We saw, we talked about this in an earlier show about uh Passive about the taxation of uh, private corporations, and we've seen Canadian deficits uh, continue way beyond what uh, the promises were. Uh, and over the next five years, I think the uh, the debt will increase um, another seven hundred billion dollars. And uh, so um, it is. Uh, sorry, seventy billion dollars over the next, um, I think, five years. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still in very much a tax spend uh, government, and uh, that's anathema to business and no move on the tax rate front. Now, there is there has been a bit of a move, and that's positive, but I don't think it was enough. It just didn't go far enough, I think, to boost expectations, and that was, I think, disappointing to the markets. Although I think the fact that the Canadian dollar didn't sell off that much, and you talked about the last week or so, the markets had time to digest. I think the negative um, perceptions are still very much in the market. And um, it could have been a lot worse. Thank God Mm. that uh, they did move a bit on the uh, tax uh, area in terms of the depreciation and the accelerated uh, investment incentive. Fair enough. And one of the elements, too, that was introduced would be the launch of a Centre for Regulatory Innovation, yes. a commitment of just over $11 million in funding over five years. Now, the IAC and in your letters, you've talked quite a bit about the need for certain regulatory reform. What would yeah. you like to see from a centre like this? Well, I think where I'd like to see it more, and I think uh, this falls into the ambit of um, federal jurisdiction, is on the energy side. I mean, I think one reason why You've seen um, the collapse in activity, uh, particularly project activity, has been because of excessive regulation. And uh, the most glaring example of that is the Energy East Pipeline, um, where uh, this bill, I think it's C-69, has come forward. And it's a very uh, heavy layer of regulation. which overrules the National Energy Board's approval of that particular project. Uh, the, the, the government um, overruled it and, uh, and said they were bringing this additional uh, legislation. Uh, it's very excessive and it's, it's affecting expectations, it's affecting projects. It's the reason that uh, Kinder Morgan walked away from uh, or sold in the end um, the Trans Mountain Pipeline to the Canadian government. Um, and uh, it, it's it's an impact on uh, other large investments in Canada. And that's why the uh, foreign uh, large uh, integrated oil players sold out all their oil sands investments. So hopefully the Center for Innovation 
will uh, be able to look at um, uh, regulations in the energy sector, federal and provincial, and bring forward some constructive recommendations. There were some people that commented that uh, they had uh, they held out um, optimism with the the center. So uh, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that that has been very positive from us is that we have seen uh, the BC government. This goes back a number of years. Uh, embrace deregulation, um, and the Ontario government, in the minister's um, uh, economic update, has. Uh, just uh, passed uh, legislation um, that will force uh, government agencies and uh, departments to uh, cut uh, regulations and red tape by 25%. So there are some good things on both fronts, I think, uh, in both updates. And uh, we'll just have to see um, how that all turns out. I'm, I'm less optimistic about the federal initiative, but, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll see how it, uh, how it evolves. Sure. We'll see. Ian, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show with your insight. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, you're just uh, great to talk to and uh, ask good (laughs) questions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's Ian Russell, (laughs) President and CEO of the Investment Industry Association of Canada. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Share our show on social media. Listen to episodes and, of course, read more business news over at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 